Good morning. This is Real Estate for Breakfast podcast. I'm your host, Phil Coover, a partner in Ice Miller's Real Estate Practice Group. Today, we have a great guest. We have Scarlet Hotel Group. We have two of the principals and co-founders, Zio Pekovic and Rob Sadoff. And what's great about this episode is that we're going to talk about the hospitality industry, which, as you all know, has had its challenges with the COVID-19 pandemic. But what I really liked about this episode was just getting to talk to uh, these entrepreneurs who own a number of hotels in various markets across the country and just getting to talk to, to them about the challenges they face with vacancy rates just falling down into the single digit range, uh, what they've done to augment their business and to improve upon their procedures and uh, practices, and also to hear their they're also interested in acquiring distressed hospitality situations and distressed hotels. And so I thought that that was really interesting to hear them be bullish about moving forward uh, in, in these times in these markets. So, you know, along with that, I should note that Ice Miller has recently founded its Distressed Investments Group, which is a compilation of attorneys across practice areas that are interested in uh, helping people acquire distressed investments, whether they're distressed debt, distressed companies, and all sorts of things. And we have a bulletin that's going to be coming out where we're trying to marry buyers and sellers of distressed uh, debt and distressed properties and companies. And so if you're interested in receiving that bulletin, uh, shoot me an email. Let me know. We'll get you on the list coming soon. My email address is philip.coover at icemiller.com. Anyway, this is fascinating. I would encourage you to stick with it all the way to the end because at the end they talk about being principals of a company and trying to build a team and a culture. And sometimes I find that that, that stuff is the good stuff. So please enjoy this episode. Zio Pekovic and Rob Sadoff, principals and co-founders of the Scarlet Hotel Group. Good morning. This is the Real Estate for Breakfast podcast. I'm your host, Phil Coover of Ice Miller. Today, we have the Scarlet Hotel Group joining us. We have Zio Pekovic and Rob Sadoff. Both are principals and co-founders of the Scarlet Hotel Group. And we also have my uh, my partner, Jay Augustine, who's also my, my colleague and basically a co-host at this point. So uh, we have a lot to discuss today. We are going to talk about the hospitality industry, uh, the COVID-19 effects on the hospitality industry, and also uh, distressed assets and how to how we're going to go about moving forward. But um, I, first, we should welcome our guests, Zio, Rob. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate you uh, you having us today. Well, please start by telling us a little bit, you know, give us the background on the Scarlet Hotel Group. Yeah, we will do. So this is Zio. Uh, so our, our background was, you know, and is um, we founded the company in, in 2016. Uh, we have an office here in Chicago as well as an office in Nashville. So our, our focus is we are a hotel investment and management company. So we own and operate our own properties. Um, really focused on uh, select service, you know, branded hotels, you know, and, and we're up to five properties right now and looking to expand um, our portfolio. Um, prior to starting the company, you know, I was in brokerage for about four years here in Chicago on the multifamily side and then transitioned to hotels. Uh, that's where I actually ended up meeting Rob. So we've known each other for a long time. And over the years, try to figure out, you know, how do we, how do we work together? Where are the opportunities? Um, you know, I ended up working for about seven years for a local hotel ownership and investment group where I was head of acquisitions and development. 
and, um, you know, formally launched, as I said, in, in 2016. Yeah, this is Rob Sadoff. Uh, got, kind of fell into the hospitality industry by accident uh, in 2006. The local real estate economy here in Chicago was slowly sinking and uh, there were just not a whole lot of transactions going on. At the time, I was with a firm called Hallmark and Johnson, which was a, a brokerage shop that focused solely on, on the Chicago market and also managed the uh, principal's uh, retail apartment buildings. Um, so was ousted from, from that job and looking for a new opportunity and just kind of fell uh, in the in the desk of uh, Steve Schwartz over at First Hospitality Group, uh, got hired, brought on there, was was at that company for roughly seven, eight years, and uh, was involved with everything from acquisitions to development, asset management. We had many large clients like Starwood Capital, uh, Goldman Sachs, and and Rockbridge. So was very involved in the asset management piece, the business side of the, of the world. Uh, had met Andrew Scarlett, who's our uh, other partner, who's an operator, true and true. He ran a couple hotels in downtown Chicago for a while, uh, where we became friendly and uh, just kind of organically kept in touch with, with both Zio and Andrew and decided at one point in time in 2015, when Andrew was just kind of tired work, working at the property level. Uh, we, we flew down to Austin where he was uh, working at a, a dual branded hotel, uh, had a couple of meetings down there and decided that we would spin off from our uh, companies and do our own thing. And that's kind of how we started. Uh, we bought our first hotel, as you mentioned, in 2016. It was a 115 room custom residence in in downtown Clearwater. We still own it. Um, and, and from there on, we started acquiring additional properties and we picked up a management contract here in downtown Chicago, uh, and we are developing a Fairfield Inn in, uh, just north of, uh, Kansas city, uh, Missouri. So we're had a strong growth plan in place and, uh, everything, you know, was going great and then COVID appeared. So. We can talk about we can talk about those challenges uh, down the road here as the interview progresses. As you guys as you guys came together, how did you um, you you all brought kind of varied backgrounds to the table, but an experience in hospitality? How do you make internal decisions about you know whether to pursue a, a straight asset acquisition or you know pitch your uh, you know your management services and capabilities? Uh, how have you kind of how have your business lines kind of evolved from where you started, and what's kind of your ideal balance going forward between you know owning hotels versus operating hotels on behalf of others? Sure. So you know, as far as just evaluation of, of opportunities, you know, Rob and I more more so focus, I would say, seventy five percent of our time on the corporate side and evaluating deals, negotiating with sellers, lenders, um, franchisors. And then the other 25% is sort of spent on operations, whereas it's it's vice versa um, for Andrew out of our Nashville office. Um, he's focused more so on, on the operating side. But, you know, as we look at, at opportunities, you know, the three of us make the decisions whether or not we want to move forward and proceed. And um, sort of what we learned in, in our previous lives is that, you know, once you, you bring on 
you know, significant amount of third-party managed assets, um, it becomes a lot more challenging to operate, but also there's a misalignment of interests. Um, whereas, you know, if, if there's no ownership in the majority of your portfolio, you know, it leads to certain decisions, in our view at least, that, you know, may or may not be best for the long-term viability of, 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 the, pro- of the property and what the business plan is, right? But, you know, if anyone's been in real estate for a minute, you know, everyone would know that, you know, when you've got equity in something, it, it aligns interests a lot quicker and, and leads to better decision making. So long term, our view is, you know, we, we do bring on third party management, but there's got to be, um, you know, uh, an agreement with ownership on what the, the long term view is, which, you know, in, in this environment can be challenging. Right. And, and, and coming to an agreement on what the business plan is to get through the rest of this year and, and in a rebound over the next two to four years. Um, but at no point do we want more than, you know, 25% of our portfolio makeup to be pure third-party management. Well, let's just talk a little bit about, you know, the elephant in the room in the hospitality and how COVID-19 has affected your business. And then we can kind of talk about moving forward because you guys did have a, a, a big growth plan and you still do. And so, you know, you're you're one of the, the few hospitality companies that are – you know, I don't know if bullish is the right word, but, you know, moving forward, growth minded. Um, so tell us a little bit about the current challenges. And then, you know, I think that that will dovetail nicely into what sort of opportunities you see in the future. Sure. So back in, I would say the second week in March is really where we started to see a major slip in, in, in occupancy and it was kind of we were struggling to, to figure out how to uh, work through the challenges of COVID. Uh, unfortunately, uh, like most companies, we were put in a position where we had to make extreme cuts in operation, both on a staffing level and a service level, uh, to the extent that uh, we, we've never done. And we've been involved with properties uh, during the, the last Great Recession. And uh, the, the drastic move and in, in, in pivoting from running a, a normal operation to running a skeleton crew operation was a pretty pretty tough thing to, to go through. We would had grown our hotel business uh, up to about 160 employees, and uh, we immediately were, were forced at the end of March to uh, furlough any hourly associate that, that was working for us. So uh, we struggled. It was a struggle financially. It was a struggle to kind of figure out you know, how you're going to pay the, the electric bill, frankly. Um, August, April was a, was a drastically challenging month. And, you know, just trying to sort through, you know, when when we could get relief money from the SBA versus the PPP funds and how we were going to get cash to operate. It was just, I mean, it was just a cluster that we were just all scrambling, working, mad hours trying to figure out what the plan was. And uh, fortunately, we were, were able to get some PPP funds, which helped us drastically in, in continuing operations. Uh, we were able to work with our lenders to get some debt relief on, on that end. And we were lucky enough not to have to shut down any of our uh, hotels. Uh, we did shut down uh, the Travel Lodge in, in downtown Chicago for 
uh, one month, uh, but we were able to reopen it there, frankly, thereafter. Um, and we started to see a, a, a little bit of a bump in occupancy. I think we we're as low as 7% at one time in Omaha. Um, you know, and then the seven turned into 12 and the 12 turned to 18 and, you know, then at 30. So, I mean, we've seen a little bit of a climb. I mean, clearly it's not enough to make our, our business completely viable. Uh, but we're, we're optimistic that we're in the right markets for strong recovery um, as that comes about. But you know, COVID is definitely, I think, you know, as impactful uh, to us as if you were to basically combine the 9-11 tragedy and the, the Great Recession and just kind of throw that huge uh, bomb on our industry is, you know, basically how we got hit. So been a it's been a great struggle um you know i would say that we were able to figure out how to work through it um we still have a long way to go uh, but we are optimistic that our, our industry will definitely come back um next year you know very strong so yeah and adding just to rob's point i mean compared to you know september 11th and then the great recession I mean, this is the most significant drop off in in travel the world has ever seen, right? So, mm-hmm. certainly, in, in, I think an environment that you know no other operator has ever had an experience going through, even relative to those other events. You know, you still had baseline occupancies of you know thirty or forty percent. But when we're talking about single digit occupancy, you know, evolving your operating model to try to cover some of your costs is, was was a challenge, particularly as Rob said and you know, April, but, um, you know, the, the, the disinfecting measures that we're, we're putting into place, it's really just a battle to build consumer confidence and, and give them, you know, um, that insight into what you're doing at the property that's made the difference, right? Whether it's, you know, these electrostatic sprayers, um, you know, fogging the lobby and the, the, um, the elevator two times a day and, and the, uh, the gyms, um, guests see that, right. And they tell their friends like, Hey, we went to this property and, you did a great job. You know, everyone was wearing uh, the PPE. There was the plexiglass at the front desk. You know, we, we're not offering um, the same breakfast that folks may be used to. And, you know, it's it, it's it's instilling a level of confidence to where, you know, if people want to go out on a vacation. They, they know that we're doing everything we can to, to protect the guests. Hey, Zio, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot to unpack. I think it was what Rob and, and you had just spoken about, but I wanted to approach it first from a big picture perspective. Rob had noted that um, uh, you guys feel good about the markets that uh, that Scarlet Assets are in, in terms of being able to both weather the current storm and then uh, come out on the other side uh, in a good position. As you're evaluating opportunities now, you know, understanding maybe that, that there's not a lot of short-term opportunities you're ready to pounce on, um, what markets? Uh, what markets are you focused on for, for for potential growth? Where do you see um, beyond kind of where you are now as as markets you'd like to get into? Yeah, so we, we've always focused on secondary markets. So we call it you know class A locations within secondary markets. So you know the Milwaukee's of the world, the uh, Omaha's where we have a downtown asset. So if we're able to be in an urban or downtown location in a secondary market, um, geographically, it's been the Midwest and the Southeast. And in terms of, you know, demand, you know, we're, we're already seeing leisure travel rebound. 
specifically in Florida, where, where we have three properties. Um, and what's going to be the longer, you know, lead time to rebound is markets that are more corporate um, and, and uh, meeting driven, right? So as an example here in Chicago, you know, summer's been canceled, right? And, you know, no events at McCormick Place. So you don't have compression pushing out downtown. And, and I mean, you even used to see when there were events at McCormick Place, you know, that were sold out, um, you'd see compression for, into into Rosemont and even into Schaumburg. And now those hotels are are, are really struggling. So certainly markets were, are, which are leisure driven are, are rebounding quicker, but they still got a long ways to go. And corporate driven markets are, are going to be the last to, to sort of come back. But, you know, with, with that said, you know, we, we still see, again, corporate driven markets as as an opportunity in, in, in urban locations within secondary markets. So, you know, to, to capitalize on that, um, we're actually in sort of the, the early stages of raising our own fund. Um, you know, we, we still are underwriting actively probably four to six deals a day. Um, we see a lot of owners that are sort of testing the waters and you know, simultaneously negotiating with their lender, forbearance, and depending on what kind of loan they've got, um, you know, they may be able to, to stave off any sort of uh, actions, which are great. But there's other owners that, you know, will probably reach out to us in, in three or four months that, that we see some opportunity um, arising at that point. So um, the focus of the fund is, you know, upper mid-scale select service and light full service assets. And um, we've had a lot of interest actually in it um, early on. We've heard as well. We've, uh, you know, in, in our line of work, you know, we're talking with, you know, hotel operators, family offices, um, you know, larger funds uh, that are um, kind of waiting for the uh, the market to shake out some. I think, you know, back in March, we had a lot of, uh, you know, folks who were in trouble right away, you know, being able to negotiate, as you mentioned, you know, extensions or other kind of deferral terms with their lenders. And so a lot of the folks who are looking at uh, potential distress opportunities are waiting to see, you know, what happens now as, as those initial 90 days are burning off, you know, how are lenders responding to the current, um, you know, uncertainty that remains in the market. In that vein, um, and I do, I know that Phil will want to touch on um, how you're evaluating distress opportunities, but for folks who are currently in trouble, um, do you guys also, um, you know, look to kind of support the, the creditor side of the house? Are there opportunities for you to step in, assist, you know, either as receivers or assisting in uh, receiverships for special services? Uh, understanding that you're trying to keep 25% uh, of kind of your third party management within that bucket, but is that a, a line of business that you guys are, are looking to pursue, you know, as everything shakes out here? Yeah. So back in 2000 and Eight. My prior company was also in the similar position where they're a, a, mostly a third-party manager. So management fees are a percentage of, of revenue. And as revenue falls, so do, does your uh, income for the, for the management piece. So we, we quickly jumped into that game and uh, started to, to pick up receivership opportunities as banks were looking to take some owner operators out of their hotels and put, you know, more professional of an organization in. I've basically had 16 to 18 properties as a receiver at one point in time uh, in the, in the last recession. It's an area that I, I have a lot of experience in Zio as well has a lot of experience in. So we're, you know, we're, we're definitely in a position to help out any banks or, or attorneys that, 
uh, we have existing relationships with. You know, there is definitely some risk on the receivership side um, in, in terms of employee risk, which which has to be shaken out. Um, but we're, you know, definitely in, in position to, to do so. Um, but in terms of, of, of seeking them out, we're, you know, definitely connecting with law firms, uh, accountants, and, and uh, lenders at this point to see who might need our help. So we're experienced in that arena. We hate to see it. Um, you know, it's it's tough kind of being on our end of the business and watching others struggle. Um, but to the extent we, we're, we're helpful to others, you know, that, that's where we would take the opportunity on. Jay, to add to that, you know, we like it, it's funny because I was commenting to Rob the other day, I can't believe, you know, it felt like yesterday we were working on receivership work, but that was 10 years ago, right? Yeah. And we, we we were hoping that, you know, it's like, you know, you, you, it's a tough, you know, assignment to do any kind of receivership work, right? Because you're, you know, a disinterested third party and you're working with, you know, the current owner that may be losing the asset and the, the lenders, your client. And, you know, it's it's, it's a tough battle, but, um, you know, hopefully most folks will work through it. Yeah, it still seems early on, but we're already fielding calls from lenders that, you know, are, are trying to assemble a team such that, you know, they can at least evaluate their loan portfolio and and figure out from from us as an owner and operator, you know, where we think there may be efficiencies and maybe giving, you know, uh, some advice from maybe an asset management perspective to their borrowers. Um, and then eventually, if, if, if they're just unable to get out of the, this hole, you know, certainly there may be some some management um, opportunity for us, but you know it's aligning with the right team that we always push on. And you know, our, our advice to other owners is always just work with your lender, right? Pick up the phone calls, and not only pick up the phone call, make the phone call for before. You know, uh, it's just be transparent and, and talk about what you're doing to try to get ahead of this. Oh, sorry. We get a sense from from our our lender specifically that you know they're very disinterested in in taking back properties. You know, I think banks at this point, uh, you know, aren't aren't willing to to take those huge losses and that and that risk, and would rather do workouts. So it, it's really seems early in the process, um, and and I don't know that we've seen a ton of uh, lenders move to the foreclosure process and you know, initiate that receivership um, piece uh, like we did, you know, as, as swiftly as we did with uh, the, the last recession. And, you know, frankly, it was a lot of the special servicers that that made very swift moves in, in the last recession to, to get receivers installed and kind of move the whatever hotels they had in their loan portfolio and kind of push them out the door. So, we haven't heard a ton from the CMBS world. Maybe, you know, you guys are, are, are hearing more on your end, um, but definitely an interesting conversation to have. Well, I do think it, it makes a lot of sense, you know, as you guys, you know, position yourselves to the extent that's where we find ourselves in the marketplace. I think the combination of having that experience back in 2008 of, of having to navigate, you know, a series of receiverships within this asset class, uh, but then also being owners and, and current operators, right, who've had to kind of navigate, uh, you know, navigate this downturn, navigate, you know, uh, environmental kind of mitigation, uh, COVID-19 related mitigation. I think all of that is going to bring a lot of, it really adds to the value proposition of, of getting Scarlet involved. Zio, I wanted to talk to you a little bit. You started to highlight some of the 
COVID mitigation steps you've taken at some of your individual properties. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about um, how you've come to consensus or agreement on the mitigation steps to take. How has those taken shape kind of in the hospitality industry, kind of big picture, uh, but then also figuring out, you know, uh, within your own management team, um, how to implement those on the ground? Sure. So, you know, early on when all this started happening, you know, one of the first things that we did was, you know, realize that cleanliness, you know, is, is going to be paramount, right, in, in, in this situation. And frankly, there's a lot of cleaning that goes on at all of our hotels already, right? Um, but things that we, we implemented early on was, you know, spraying the, the common areas twice a day. And we rolled that out prior to the franchise companies, you know, putting together their own program. Um, so we started doing that in mid-April. In addition to that, some of the mitigating uh, factors that we, we've put into place was, you know, scrapping the the buffet style breakfast, right? Um, you know, lots of different people touching different serving spoons and, and uh, the utensils. You know, we got rid of all that. So effectively, the, the breakfast offering at our hotels is is just a grab and go where there's a pack, prepackaged um, like an egg sandwich and coffee or juice at the front desk or put out in the, the breakfast area, they just grab it and, and they go on about their day. Um, from a cleaning um, and housekeeping perspective, um, we stopped uh, cleaning stayover rooms. So in other words, if you check in on a Monday and check your checkout date is on a Friday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, um, no one will go into your room. So traditionally before all this, you know, the housekeepers would at least go into your room and spend 10 to 15 minutes you know, just tidying things up, you know, if they need to vacuum really quickly, you know, just making you aware that someone was in your room and they're cleaning up after you and, and making your bed. Um, our view is that, you know, it's, it's, it's beneficial, right? And it's also a, a cost savings from the labor side of not having to, to clean and allocate 10 to 15 minutes for stayover rooms. Um, but also limiting access to a room is, is a primary way of preventing um, the spread of COVID. Also, from the employee perspective, um, all of our um, associates are required to wear um, the PPE, um, and we also check their temperature uh, upon their arrival. And uh, we're also now requiring uh, guests to wear um, masks as well at the, the hotels. Um, so, th- so those are a few of the major things that we've implemented at the, the property level, and we've seen you know strong strong responses from our guests and they're all, you know, appreciative of it. Yeah. I think the companies that do that well, it's, it's really noticeable if you're a guest. I mean, I've been to some restaurants, I've been to a few uh, other service providers where it's people notice who's doing a good job and who's trying to do their best and who's using the right protective measures. Uh, and it, I think, you know, I would just, I would say that as a note of encouragement that if you, the efforts you're putting in, I think, will be noticed by people and guests will respond positively to those efforts. Yeah, no, we, we agree. And we're actually posting, you know, a lot of the social media push on our part is, you know, guest testimonials that exactly what you just described, where, you know, maybe there was some hesitation because they haven't stayed at a hotel um, post-COVID. And now that they've actually been there, it sort of, again, eases a lot of their, you know, uh, sort of um, caution and or anxiety over like what, what's going to happen when I get there. Right. And what's, you know, are people going to be wearing masks? Are there going to, is there going to be hand sanitizer at 
each, you know, elevator landing. Like, you know, it's again, it's, it's a, it's a battle to build guest confidence, which, you know, I think if, if, if you're an operator and you're at the forefront of all these measures, um, you know, it's going to pay itself off um, down the line. Well, that, you know, the, you know, the last decade, you know, the story, a lot of the story of hospitality has, has been told in the context of the emergence of Airbnb, VRBO, you know, these kind of, uh, you know, off the grid or, you know, non-corporate lodging uh, availabilities. But I think, Zio, it becomes, you know, being prudent and taking good practice, you know, undertaking good practices, you know, becomes a marketing tool, right? And so maybe talk a little bit about, I guess you've already highlighted kind of the social, you know, um, uh, the social networking aspect of, of advertising what you're doing from a safety perspective. Uh, but would appreciate your thoughts on how you think that, um, you know, will impact the hotel industry, you know, big picture as you, you know, continue to, you know, face competition from, you know, again, companies like Airbnb. Well, I would say that it's apples and oranges, frankly. Our hotels are the cleanest that they've ever, ever been. I mean, they're, it's a, you can eat off the floor. Um, you know, the, the challenge I think people will have or are having or, or the platform of them you know, with Airbnb, it's obviously just a third-party service for renting, you know, somebody's, you know, vacation house. You know, there's 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 no standards of safety. There's no standards of, of, of sanity, cleanliness. Um, it's just, you know, it's kind of the, the Wild West in terms of what you're going to get. Um, you know, where, where they may have an advantage is, is simply, you know, for people who just you know, are in potential hotspots of states and want something more long-term and will rent a house for a month or two months, you know, just to kind of get away if they're in New York and are looking to get out of Manhattan, for example. So, you know, some of that Airbnb and um, uh, VRBO, you know, does have a little bit of advantage from from that standpoint. Um, But, you know, for people who are traveling and looking for, you know, more of a shorter term stay or, or even a, an extended term stay that's, you know, not, you know, month by month. Um, lodging is still obviously the the best way to go. Working with large, you know, franchise orders like Hilton or Marriott, you know, it's very helpful that they kind of push their initiatives out and are, are basically putting it out there to the open, open market about what hotels are doing and why you should be traveling now. Uh, in terms of, you know, how it's safe uh, to do so. Uh, so, you know, long-term, you know, I, I still believe in lodging and I still believe that we'll always have the advantage over the, the short-term rental business. Um, I know, frankly, in, you know, Southwest Michigan, they stop allowing for VRBO at some point. So, you know, every different market or municipality is going to have his own opinion about whether or not they even want that type of exposure in, in their markets. So, you know, fortunately we've remained a, uh, a essential business within the eyes of the government and we'll, we'll remain that way from here on out. So again, we're, we're quite, you know, I'd say unfazed from, you know, those type of competitors and long-term we, we just see our, our industry like I said, having, you know, a a significant bounce and people are really just kind of itching to even get out of their own 
environment. I mean, if you're stuck in your apartment in downtown Chicago, I mean, I, I couldn't imagine, you know, trying to live in a, a one bedroom right now and, and just kind of being, you know, confined to that space, you know, during the, the whole COVID, you know, quarantine. So I think people are ready, are ready to move. It's just, you know, hasn't to take that first step. And, you know, our social media efforts, as you mentioned, are, are ways to try to counter, you know, some of the uh, scary press that might be out there. Um, and, you know, if, if we can show third-party testimonials and have reviews and kind of push our messaging out there, you know, with the help of the uh, American Hotel Lodging Association and, you know, the local lodging associations in each municipality, uh, the Convention Visitors Bureau, the, you know, you know any of the, uh, you know, visit Sarasota, visit Omaha, you know, any of these organizations that rely on our industry and rely on bringing groups and bringing demand back, you know, everybody's making that push to, to deliver that type of message. And, um, you know, that's, uh, that's why I think we'll be more successful long-term than some of these uh, other just third-party platforms. I think that's right. I mean, just anecdotally, um, you know, we, we rented a Airbnb in southwestern Michigan right after they opened it back up and the air conditioning didn't work because no one had used it in it, you know, since the last uh, fall. And so you, you, you just have no idea what's going on. You don't know if it's been cleaned properly. You don't know what cleaning products have been used. I think the standardization of a hotel provides a lot of advantages as people, you know, there was that initial period where no one was traveling, but now we all are sort of adjusting to a period where we do have to make some certain trips or want to make certain trips. And so now it's a more of a risk mitigation analysis rather than a risk removal, because a lot of people, uh, you know, without passing any judgment right or wrong are going to do going to take vacations, they're going to make business trips. And so the question is, are you safer just taking a total question mark on a, on a short-term rental or using a, a standardized facility that has some procedures in place? And so, you know, I think that you do have some some options there. And I've certainly seen your your social media posts and see the the progress you guys are making on, on cleaning and, and cleanliness. And, and so it, it is noticeable. Uh, I wanted to touch, I lost a little bit of internet on the receivership portion, but I wanted to talk to you about deals moving forward. And I think you're right that a lot of everything happened very quickly in 2008, 2009 in terms of foreclosures and receiverships. It seems to have slowed that, that just doesn't seem to have, have happened yet. And so we're recording this on July 21st. I, I have to remember to date these episodes, but, uh, and we're going to release this probably sometime in early August. But at least as of this point, we have not seen a tremendous amount of foreclosures. And so we've not seen a tremendous amount of receivers in place. But I do think that that is coming. I mean, I know here in Cook County, where we're sitting, uh, that the courts really just opened back up last week in terms of being fully operational. And so I think that a lot of those types of that type of litigation is, is coming your way. But I say this all to lead up to, you know, you mentioned that your underwriting still are looking at four to six deals a day. And I was just sort of curious, you know, where, where you, how the deals get brought to you all, you know, in terms of your traditional lines of business and as well as the fund that you're working on, um, 
how how are you seeing the deals come in and uh, what types of deals are they? Are they distressed opportunities? Are they typical market deals that you know are still trading at about the same values that they were four months ago? Are they prices starting to move? You know, just how is that process going for you? Yeah. So in terms of just sourcing deals, I mean, outside of traditional, you know, brokered opportunities, and we, we always maintain a really strong network, you know, I came from brokerage as did Rob. So, you know, we certainly maintain those relationships. And a lot of times, you know, a broker will, for example, have done a proposal for an asset, but, you know, seller will say, don't take it out to the market, but call, you know, your short list of two to 10 buyers, right? So, we, we've been successful in that regard, but even more so, we've been successful in you know identifying opportunities just directly from networking and talking to other owners and whether they're you know in other markets that we don't have an ownership in, but um, we met them at you know uh, the Marriott conference, uh, which Marriott holds a, a an ownership conference every year, as does Hilton, as does Hyatt, you know all the brands. So you know within our own you know sort of ownership um, franchisee network, uh, we're able to, you know, again, talk to other owners, let them know what we're seeing if, if they're interested in us taking a look at how we can maybe um, help with what's going on at their property. Um, that's an, another way we've, we've been able to access deals. But, you know, you're, you're right in the sense that there hasn't been a whole lot of, if any, um, receiverships yet. Um, what we are seeing a lot of is note sales. And at least notes that are coming onto the market, um, we haven't seen a ton of them transact. But I think lenders are just testing the market to see what the discount would have to be based on what the current market conditions are for them to to transact on that note. We're also seeing, and, and what we're really focusing on is is assets that were showing signs of distress pre-COVID. Whereas this is sort of you know the, the, the final straw, and owners are realizing that the challenges are even further magnified now. Um, with this pandemic. And, you know, if the rebound is another, you know, say two to four years, um, they just don't see themselves being able to, to get out of that. So that's what we've been focused on. The other the other piece, too, that that we're, we're looking at is, you know, hotels that were previously on the market that never sold. You can really test out the motivation of, of, of those sellers if they're real or not. You know, if they if they need to sell, you know, then there's a great opportunity to buy. You know, but had you, you mentioned prior in the, the conversation that, you know, if the, if the spreads are, are still expected to be what they were, you know, obviously that deal is never going to transact. So um, it's really about this, you know, finding the, the person who needs to sell. And if they're motivated, we can make that work. We're looking at, you know, forecasting revenues, which is a total mystery. So when you bake that into an underwrite, you're effectively, it's like building a new hotel. So you're basically starting from scratch at this point. And what type of cash burn and, and excess cash are you going to need in order to keep your operating expenses and debt service going for let's it's 12 to 18 months, let's say. Uh, so when you put those into your model, it kind of you know takes your, your returns down and probably looking more at a seven-year deal now versus a three to five-year deal. Uh, and, and we have the staying power to do so, um, you know, based on our, our investors' appetites. So um, I think that's kind of where we'll have a little bit of an advantage over, you know, some some of these 
other distress funds that are coming out as well that will have a one to two year hold cycle. You know, we're in this for the long haul. Uh, we're going to be around for many years. We're, we're patient and uh, we'll do the right deals. We're, we're, we're in no rush to do wrong deals. And I wanted to press in a little bit uh, on something Zio uh, had mentioned, whether it's uh, through Scarlet or through another platform. Um, do you guys, you know, personally have an appetite for uh, for the note purchase? You know, stepping in as as lender on some of these assets. Do you prefer kind of the cleaner, obviously being able to kind of acquire the the hotel, you know, outright? Uh, how are you kind of looking at the different buckets of distress in terms of evaluating opportunities? You know, to the extent right that you you know you're not able to kind of forecast revenues going forward you know, with a, a great degree of certainty right now, um, are we adding uh, additional layers of complexity and evaluating the, you know, the current debt regime of a, a potential distressed opportunity? Um, or are you guys primed to, to press in wherever that opportunity might pre- present itself? As you guys know, but the audience might not, you know, the, the, the note purchasing process, you know, while you can clearly get discounts on that note, you also have to look at uh, the, the foreclosure side and, and each state has its own rules and regulations about and, and time frame, frankly, that, that it takes to actually get the asset. So, you know, if your, your intention is to ultimately own the hotel, you know, I think that would, would have to be looked at, you know, on a, on a location based or state by state based decision. Um, you know, but, you know, traditionally, we're, we're not like a finance company that is just going to want to be holders of notes. You know, ultimately, you know, we'd want to have the asset. So I, I guess the answer to your question is it would just kind of depend uh, on the municipality and, and the governance of, of, of how you could proceed in that foreclosure process. Yeah, we, we've also seen, you know, uh, where it's not necessarily a note sale, but if we're talking to other owners that let's say they bought the asset four or five years ago, they've paid, you know, off a certain, you know, a decent amount of the, the principal, let's say they've got a 10 year note on it, but you know, obviously cash flow, you know, challenges and then they've burned through all their cash. We're having conversations where we can come in and just restructure the capital stack rather than owning them, owning a hundred percent of an asset. That's half of the, the valuation of when they bought it, you know, maybe they can own 20 or 30 or 40% you know, uh, of something where we step in, you know, we fund shortfalls and, you know, their their piece gets diluted. So there's all sorts of creative ways to, to look at it. But to Rob's point, you know, just owning a, a loan and, and, and you know, basically underwriting that will get paid off in, in two years um, is, is not really interesting to us and, and not something that we're, we're looking at. I think what's, uh, you know, what I've, what I've heard both of you say, and I think what's going to be critically important for you as you evaluate opportunities going forward is that you guys have a kind of a deep and a broad network of, um, you know, sources, uh, sources of intel, sources of opportunities, both in the operational world, also in the, you know, the capital side. And so, you know, to your point, whether you're coming in in a, a loan to own scenario or as in a rescue capital position, you've developed the relationships necessary to be able to kind of ferret out those opportunities and then apply a, you know, apply an investment strategy that that'll fit um, kind of with your, your short-term and your long-term uh, long-term goals. As we wrap here, uh, Rob and Zio, just wanted to open the floor to you. If there's anything else you'd like to share about what you guys are seeing Scarlett's vision uh, for the short-term and the intermediate term uh, or the, the state of the marketplace generally. You know, I, I would tell you that, 
on the operation side, um, you know, anybody working at a hotel, they're they're working harder and you know dealing with a lot more stress. So, you know, we, we always got give kudos to our our team in, in general, and you know, for anybody else who owns and, and operates or any management company, um, the GM on down are, are are working more hours for less money and just to kind of keep our industry alive. So, you know, we obviously want to acknowledge those people in our industry and any, anybody at the whole hotel level. Um, I mean, they're the ones who are, are, are really carrying this on their shoulders and keeping our business from folding. So, you know, that, I think that's very important. I think it's very important to acknowledge that and acknowledge the hard work that uh, everyone is putting in just to kind of make this lodging industry not totally crumble. Um, so there's so many people involved and it's just, uh, it's just been an amazing effort amongst all parties, I think, involved in, in hospitality um, from what I've seen to, to just stay alive and, and, and keep prosperity and, you know, keep everything just moving forward from such a, just a, a disaster that we face. So. And Jay, adding to Rob's point, you know, it, it, we're in the people business at the end of the day and it's easy to forget that, um, you know, what we what we found challenging, you know, again, in our former lives was that, you know, uh, hospitality is both a combination of, of the real estate, you own the real estate, but you also have an operating business. And oftentimes it felt like, you know, we were more in, on the real estate side and, and only focused on the real estate aspect. But, you know, like Rob said, you know, you've got folks that are, you know, working their butts off to try to make ends meet. They don't know, you know, how they're going to feed their family and we're working through a pandemic, right? So now it's it's more critical than ever um, to make sure you're doing the best that you can for your team and how do we help everyone out? And we've always been as owners and operators, we've always been transparent and open with our team and, and most importantly, accessible. You know, we talk to our general managers daily, all three of us individually, and we talk to our sales team daily and they all have our phone numbers and they all text us. And we, we view it, you know, as, as the benefit of being um, an, in, you know, an entrepreneurial, smaller, you know, management company, but with an institutional background, um, whereas, you know, more of the institutional groups, you know, they're more focused on the real estate side. So for us, you know, those relationships are really important. And what we've what we've really seen throughout the pandemic so far is we've seen, you know, our leadership at the property level uh, really either step up or really show that, you know, they're not going to be able to, you know, mentally work through this. So that's where we can step in and, you know, come up with a plan of, you know, how do we get through this? How do we help you out individually? Um, and what's, what does the second half of this year look like? What does 2021 look like? And how do we pivot and, and adjust our business to be successful, you know, over the next 10 years, right? Not over the next 10 months. So, you know, we, we, are optimistic on, on our industry. Um, people are always going to need a place to stay and you always got to take care of um, your on-site team. Um, but the next, you know, couple of years are certainly going to be interesting. You know, I, I think you just, I think you encapsulated what people are looking for kind of across industries, across, you know, kind of all aspects of your professional and personal lives, you know, whether you're you know, uh, not, not to pivot, but whether you're looking at school districts looking to open or you're looking at a, you know, the kind of hotel where you want to stay, it's all about transparency and accessibility of leadership 
Um, and so the fact that, that you guys have adopted that as, as kind of a, a credo and a, and a way to operate your business in good times and in challenging times is is great. Um, Phil and I just want to thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast today, Rob and Zio. We look forward to talking to you down the road as we you know move through COVID and, and get out to the other side. We appreciate it. And uh, thank you for, for the opportunity to have this discussion. Yep. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Phil. We appreciate it. This publication is intended for general information purposes only and does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. The listener should consult with legal counsel to determine how laws or decisions discussed herein apply to the listener's specific circumstances.